Daphne Caruana Galizia was running late. She was supposed to be at the bank at 3 p.m., but there was too much work to do. She was a renowned investigative journalist on the island of Malta, and she had calls to make. The country's economy minister was suing her for libel after she reported that he had visited a brothel on a work trip to Berlin. If someone tried to shut her up, if someone tried to stop her, or she just fight back even harder, that was her spirit. It was the fall of 2017, and Galizia's son Matthew, also a journalist, was at home working alongside his mother. He remembers her putting the finishing touches on a new blog post, publishing it, and finally heading out the door. Then, the sound of an explosion. I knew it was a car bomb straight away. I just kind of leapt out of my chair and ran out. I knew what it was immediately. Matthew ran out of the house toward the car. I tried calling my mother on her phone, obviously it didn't ring. When I got there, there was just so much destruction and so much fire. The assassination of Daphne Caruana Galizia rattled the small Mediterranean island. Thousands of people attended a candlelight vigil for Daphne Caruana Galizia on Monday. The case Today, this is undoubtedly a dark and sad, 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 sad day for Malta. One of her sons says he thinks his mother was assassinated because of her work. Her death also galvanized a small team of journalists to investigate her murder and pick up her reporting where she left off. We sat down and thought, well, what was it? What was the trail that she was on that she hadn't quite solved? Could that be the the clue? Could that point to the killer? Stephen Gray is a reporter at Reuters who has covered Malta for years. After Galizia was killed, he and other reporters, including her son Matthew, saw police slow-walking the investigation. So... They did it themselves. Honestly, there was a lot of obviously luck involved because I've been a journalist nearly 30 years and this is the first time, you know, we actually succeeded. It's your first time solving a murder, huh? Well, quite, yeah. Consider this. Every year, dozens of journalists are killed for their work. Now, new evidence has come to light in one of the most notorious cases in recent memory. Evidence gathered by a crack team of dogged journalists who refused to let the story go. From NPR, I'm Ari Shapiro. It's Monday, September 5th. This message comes from NPR sponsor Sattva, the comfort company. Sattva luxury mattresses are sold online and priced at about 50% less than mattress stores. Visit com slash NPR today and save an additional $200. It's Consider This from NPR. Daphne Caruana Galizia was used to getting in trouble for her reporting. I was arrested, I was told, because of an article I published about the leader of the opposition. That's Galizia in 2013 outside a police station. The Maltese elections were the next day, so it was against the law for media outlets to publish anything political. Galizia posted an article anyway. But it's absolutely appalling in a democratic country in 2013 that the law should seek to control what people say and what they write. It's appalling. And that was the whole basis of my... Earlier in her career, Galizia had worked for the big newspapers in Malta. But in 2008, she started her own blog called Running Commentary. Over the years, she built it into a one-woman investigative newsroom, uncovering rampant corruption and scandal in the Maltese government. 
By the time she was killed in 2017, Galizia's blog was seeing upwards of 400,000 readers a day. That's more than three-quarters of Malta's population. She had recently broken stories exposing the offshore banking of some Maltese government officials. She was this fabulous journalist. That's Stephen Gray again, the reporter from Reuters. He is the host of a new podcast called Who Killed Daphne? It's a six-part investigation into Galizia's death. I asked him first to explain her stature in the Maltese press at the time she died. What made her such a towering figure? She was operating on a very small island in the Mediterranean, but she, she'd put it on the map in, in Europe. But unfortunately for Malta, put it on the map as a place of very serious corruption where you know, ministers were setting up, while an office was setting up companies in Panama, uh, they were selling off the country's passports, they were setting up money laundering operations. One issue after another she'd exposed, and it turned out she did most of it on her own. I, I knew what she was doing, didn't know quite how alone she was. And that was the awful thing, you know, we didn't, we didn't get to support her when she was alive. But this podcast is us trying to set that right. Yeah, soon after she was killed, the police arrested three men who were accused of carrying out the hit. But then you say that authorities seemed uninterested in tracking down who might have ordered the killing. So you started looking at who her enemies might have been. And she had lots of them. Why was the list so long? Why did so many powerful people have it in for her? Well, it was partly her character. She wouldn't stop. And she unpicked the island. She was like a one-woman WikiLeaks, she's been called. And she was a woman in a very male-dominated society. And we knew she was doing this stuff, but he didn't realize quite how much danger she was in. So when you realize that the police appeared uninterested in working their way up the chain of command, that in fact somebody was leaking to the suspects from the investigation, when you realized how many powerful enemies Daphne had, what hope did you think you had of actually solving this mystery? Well, I, and I should say, I'm not trying maligning everybody in the, in the police. There were people there trying to do it to, to solve this one, but it looked like they needed some help. So we didn't think that we would solve anything. You know, what we tried to do, uh, you know, as journalists, we continue the work of other journalists. And that's what we wanted to do here. And then it became clear that though the police were following a chain of evidence from the bomb scene, they were not interested in following the people she wrote about, in investigating the, the matters that she was looking at and actually taking up her, the puzzles that she was trying to solve. To solve those puzzles, Gray connected with other local journalists and with Galizia's family. They followed leads from Galizia's reporting, pressured law enforcement, and rallied support from newsrooms overseas. They began to piece together a network of people allegedly involved in the plot, and they even got a jailhouse confession from one of the men arrested for the murder. I mean, I was just gobsmacked, you know. But we did identify, as you'll hear, the person identified as the mastermind who who is now accused, officially charged, and a trial is, is, is happening. It is a dramatic uh, narrative. It has the pacing of a thriller. I mean, there is a scene before dawn at a harbor with a boat that's almost escaping that could really come right out of an action movie. It was then the captain noticed something. Through the side window of the bridge, a blue light flashing in the dark. Out of the gloom, a motorboat came into view, speeding across the waves. It was heading straight for him. 
Then he saw two more patrol boats closing in from each side. Six soldiers stormed aboard, marines from the Maltese armed forces. Logan opened his mouth to ask what was going on. Then he saw a red laser sight on his chest. Yeah, some of these scenes, they write themselves. It, it, was, it was a dramatic moment when we lived it as well. You know, at that end, at the end scene, I don't know if you can feel the, the excitement that we went through because it's one of those moments when the, the whole country was, was in a state almost of revolution. People were out in the streets. You knew something was going to happen. Uh, it was one of those moments you, you, you went to bed about two in the morning, you woke up at six and you didn't even feel tired because you were so excited about what the next day would bring. This actually made international news. I mean, people in the street in Malta chanting, mafia, mafia, accusing the government of corruption, thousands of people. It must have been totally surreal to know that you played some role in that. Absolutely. I've never lived through anything quite like that. And, you know, it is a compelling story, tinged, though, by the fact that with that sadness of the, that it's real, you know, it's not fiction, it really is real. And, you know, the struggle for justice does still continue in that case and in, obviously in the case of many others as well. Another plot point that I think is not a spoiler because it was widely reported, including on NPR, is that the Prime Minister Joseph Muscat ultimately had to resign, along with other top government ministers. And the way Muscat described it to you, he says his worst offense was trusting the people around him who turned out to be corrupt. He portrays himself as innocent, if naive. Do you believe that? He may say that, and I couldn't possibly comment. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you must have an opinion, even if it's one you don't feel comfortable sharing. Well, that's right. But, you know, all I can say is there remain some loose ends among those who leak this information about this investigation, how high it went. If not the murder, perhaps the cover up that uh, is still out there. So it's not a clean cut ending, but it's still satisfying in many ways if it does bring bring justice. But, you know, there's still more to come. You are now part of a consortium called Forbidden Stories, and the group's slogan is Killing the Journalist Won't Kill the Story. Can you tell us about the organization's mission? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a fabulous idea. Uh, Laurent Richard, a Paris journalist who is the founder of it, he spent about a year thinking about it. What can we do to, to help to, to keep alive the memories of all these journalists in general who are getting killed all the time? And so he set up this outfit, which has united so many journalists around the world, not just people who've been killed, but also those imprisoned who also can't continue their work. And systematically, uh, in Mexico, other places in South America, in Asia, lots of projects have come together, which Forbidden Stories is, is coordinating. And it, it's, a, it's a really smashing idea, which I'm, I'm very proud to have been part of. I feel torn between a sense of satisfaction that a group like this exists and a sense of dread that there is enough work for a group like this to do. Absolutely. And, you know, you can't you can't dip into every case. You can't intervene everywhere. Hopefully, in most cases, the police will do their job. But we show that if there's going to be a cover up that will intervene, you know, there's got to be a way that we create a disincentive. You're likely as not things will get worse for you if you try and kill the messenger. That's Reuters reporter Stephen Gray, host of the new podcast, Who Killed Daphne? You can see all the team's reporting at ForbiddenStories.org. 
It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Ari Shapiro.